The last of the big time swingers. Swinging Teddy Barra. Swing it, Teddy. We're now developing a master plan that encompasses the theme park and all the facilities around it that will serve the tourists. If you're within the sound of my voice, you're listening to W Radio. Your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello. Thank you for tuning in again this week. This is show number 63 for the week of April 20th, 2008. I'm not going to get a chance to cover the Walt Disney World news this week, not just because there wasn't a lot to report on, but because I had to tape this show early as I'm heading down to Walt Disney World to cover Disney's Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary celebration on Tuesday, April 22nd. I will be back next week with not just coverage of the event, but live audio from the parks and a few surprises. But this week, I'm going to welcome back Kara Goldsberry, who's the author of The Luxury Guide to Walt Disney World, as we talk about her appearance on two new Travel Channel specials as they continue their season of Disney series. Kara is going to be appearing on both the Disney Splurge and the Disney Royal Treatment shows, and we'll discuss each of these, as well as tips on how to splurge on some special events without breaking the bank, some luxurious experiences in Walt Disney World, and we're going to have some fun as we wonder how you could spend a day in Disney if money was no object. As part of my celebration of Disney's Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary, this week we're going to take a practical look at the park as Jeff Pepper and I talk about a day at Disney's Animal Kingdom, how to get the most out of what the park has to offer by spending a full day here, and more. In response to many of your travel and vacation planning emails, I'm going to welcome in Becky Mankin, the owner of Mouse Fan Travel, She's going to tell us a little bit about her company and how they can help you plan your Walt Disney World vacation, as well as assist me in answering a number of your emails. They include everything from balloon rides over Walt Disney World to grand gatherings, a detailed discussion of the Disney Dining Experience card versus the annual pass holder discounts, special events, and more. Be sure to stay until the end of the show when I'll play some more of your voicemails, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. We all know that there are many ways to save money when going to Walt Disney World and that you can go on a budget and that there's a lot of free and nearly free ways to enjoy the parks and resorts and so much that Walt Disney World has to offer. But what about the other end of the spectrum? You know, sometimes we like to dream and when we do, we want to dream big. And for some of those dreamers or those that maybe just want to know what Disney can do for those that want to splurge, there's one place to go to find out just how and where to do so And that's Kara Goldsberry. She's the author of The Luxury Guide to Walt Disney World. And this week, she's not only going to share with us some of those indulgent opportunities, but is also going to tell us about two new Travel Channel specials where she gets to not only highlight some of those unique ways to celebrate some special occasions at Walt Disney World, 
but how guests can really have their dreams come true as part of their own sort of Disney fairy tale story. So I want to welcome back my friend Kara Goldsberry to the show. Hi, Lou. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back on. And uh, it, this is this is timely for so many reasons, because like I said, uh, you know, for Disney fans, we are excited because the Travel Channel is doing a lot of new specials coming out this month with Samantha Brown. And the two that I made reference to, one is the Disney Splurge and the other is the Disney Royal Treatment. And like I said, you know, you're kind of the, the queen of finding the, the most indulgent ways to spend your time and money at Walt Disney World. So <laughs> now that... Um, Travel Channel is going to be showcasing some of those ways, um, not necessarily like renting out the Magic Kingdom for a million dollars, but some of the other ways that you can celebrate special events, things like that. Tell us a little bit about the show in general. Right. It's it's for it's for real people. It's not for sometimes you hear about these unbelievable splurges and and that's, you know, for corporations that are just so over the top that you couldn't even consider it. But but. What's going to be fun about these new specials that are coming out, and uh, one is about Disney Splurge, and that's coming out on the 18th of April, I think that's a Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Travel Channel, is they actually took real people, real families, and kind of followed them around while they're experiencing the Splurge part of Walt Disney World. For instance, they did a, a Father's Day, so it was a family with a father, and they did uh, Richard Petty's driving experience, you know, which is, you know, a bit of a splurge. You can, you know, do the $99 ride along, or you can spend $1,259 if you want to, and, you know, do practically all day, you know, doing laps around and learning how to be a, a uh, stock car driver. But they also did things like anniversaries, honeymoons, you know, for instance, at the anniversary, they went to Victorian Alberts, the honeymooners go out on a 52-foot, you know, the Grand One yacht. So those are the type of experiences that they're trying to show um, what you can do at Walt Disney World to have some splurges, to have some fun, to spend some money, but not outrageous amounts of money. Well, let's talk about maybe some of those things, because I get questions from listeners all the time who ask me, you know, I'm going down for my mom's 29th birthday again <laughs> you know what can we do that's something really special or what can we do for my dad or we want to give my kids um, a, a wedding present something like that what are some of the things that you can do again without spending exorbitant amounts of money um, to well, really sort of plus a lot of stuff. people just think okay we're just going to go to Disney and we're going to do the parks and we might do some nice dinners but there's so many things to do at Walt Disney World that uh, it was funny because when the Travel Channel people were interviewing me they, they were kind of surprised about the things that I was I was telling them about that they didn't even know existed or they didn't know existed until they actually got there and started filming like um, again the Grand One Yacht you could go out on the Grand One Yacht have dinner have actually butler service and serving dinner and kind of coordinated with a fireworks at the Magic Kingdom viewing or if you don't have want to spend that much money you can do a fireworks cruise a lot of people don't even know about fireworks cruises, but you can do one over to see the Illumination show at Epcot, or you can do one to watch the Wishes fireworks show out on the Seven Seas Lagoon at the Magic Kingdom. And that's something that's not way over the top. I believe they keep going up, but they're anywhere from around two to $250. But that's for a whole boat, boatload. So you could have up to, I think, eight people. It depends on what kind of boat you get. Um, something else special to me, 
California Grill is one of the most special things that you can do at Walt Disney World, and that's more than affordable. It's a little more expensive, say, than some of the other restaurants, but what's fun to go coordinate your meal around the Wishes Fireworks, you know, sit down, have a, have a wonderful meal, and then go outside to the catwalk and end your evening with a glass of wine watching the Wishes Fireworks from the catwalk. So there's all kinds of things you can do to make it so special for yourself without spending a fortune. All right, well, give me an example now. I'm going to play the the typical man that maybe wants to propose to his his girlfriend or wants to really kind of blow her away with something special. And yes, we've done the fine dining. We've done, we're staying at a nice hotel. We've eaten at the the California Grill. But give me that one thing that's really just going to blow her away. Well, you could... You could do anything from um, have, at, if you're staying at the Grand Floridian, they have a kind of a special private dining where they can pretty much set up your dinner anywhere. You could have a dinner, a table set up on the beach, you know, a candlelit table. You could have, you know, Mickey Mouse show up with, you know, the ring. You could, you could do anything like that. That would be very special. <laughs> yeah, but I'm hearing the cash um, register going off in the back of my mind. <laughs> no, not really, because... You know, it's part of private dining, and yeah, the character's going to add a lot more to it, but that would be super special, where you would be alone. That's what you have to think about, is where am I going to be and where am I going to be alone? Again, the Grand Run Yacht, I can't think of a better place to propose on. And that's running, I think it's gone up to about $400 an hour, but you could go out, have wine, champagne, bubbly, and, you know, coordinate your proposal with the Wishes Fireworks. And, you, and just so you know, like you said, the Grand One Yacht, you can really do it, you know, full-blown dinner for two with the captain right. and the butler. But if you also just want to do the fireworks cruise, it, it's about, I think it's 325 or $350. But like you said, if you do it yeah, maybe with a family. $350 tax plus. Right, you can just do a spin. You don't even have to order wine or whatever on board because it's just another way, like you say, of doing the Wishes Fireworks or not. You can do whatever you want. Right. But, yeah, if you want to do the full-blown treatment, have the butler show up and, and, uh, and serve dinner and, and champagne and, you know, roses and chocolates and, and whatnot. Right. But like you said, you can take your, your whole family or if it, you have an extended family right. that has seven or eight people, you break it down per person. You know, well, it's I not all that Well, I think that the Grand Run Yacht holds 18 people now since it's, now it's a 52-footer. It used to be 13, and I, now I think it's 18 people. That's a lot of people yeah. if you want to break it down. Yeah, and again, it's it's one of those things. Of course, you'll re- remember a meal, but that's one of those experiences that's just, you know, something very, very special. Uh, well, and you, and you can combine it with a meal, too. You could go out, do your spend for an hour, and then come back and do, uh, you know, a meal at Citrico's or Victorian Alberts. Or, of course, to me, Victorian Alberts is, is the highlight of staying at the Grand Floridian or, or a Disney trip. So that, that, again, would be another very special evening. Yeah, and it is. Look, I, I went to Victorian Alberts once, and it is truly an indulgence. And, and I've talked about it briefly on the show. How long ago was it, Lou? Uh, a few months ago. A few oh, month- you did. Good. I just think the food just gets better and better every time I go there. I think it truly defines what a dining experience is. I think California Grill and Il Molino and so many of these other places, Flying Fish on property serve exceptional food. But you want to talk about a four, four and a half hour experience. Um, is it costly? Absolutely. Is it something I'll do once every X amount of years? Yes. But it, it's one of those indulgent things, like I said, that you're talking about that we'll never forget. Well, and, if, and next time you ought to do the chef's table. 
because it's so different. It's a totally different experience it, because you have this very intimate dining room in the regular dining room, very candlelit, soft and quiet, and the heart music playing. But the chef's table, you have all this action going on. It, it's so interesting though, just to watch them, you know, cook, prepare your meal, prepare everybody's meal, everybody running in and out of the kitchen. But then uh, chef oversees your whole dinner, so he's coming over to your table, back and forth, asking you what you know what you prefer and every time a course comes out or just about every time a course comes out he walks over with the course he tells you how he prepared it and it goes on talk about forever i think i was there for five hours last time <laughs> five <laughs> hours and t- and there were three of us and we had ten bottles of wine <laughs> <laughs> listen i'm not gonna do, i'm not gonna comment or judge three bottles to three people ten bottles. Uh, okay. I, I still walked out of there. I didn't do all that drinking. But, well, you uh, walked, which is which is which is more I than walked. I thought that. You did no, that. I kind of rolled. Out of there. <laughs> but that is really something special, and they'll do it for you know whoever. And like if it's just the two of you, if you book it first, it's two of you that are going to have a chef's table. It'll hold up to I think eight people. Right. But uh, that is something that would be very special for maybe a family gathering, or say if you were celebrating an anniversary with your children. Something like that, right? Or you know, your your mother and father maybe are celebrating, uh, you know, a very special anniversary. That's the right. kind of place that you could take them, and you know exactly. that the experience. And you don't need to stay at the Grand Floridian too. You can, you know, no, you don't. I actually think no. we were paying, staying at Pop Century when we went to. Oh, funny! <laughs> so, and you, you thought, know. let's see, how many nights could I have spent at the? Pop That's Century? right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's think about you know um, let's think about the ladies and let's let's talk about maybe um, again your, your very difficult research process. Tell me what do you think the best <laughs> spa in Walt Disney World is and the best place to shop. The best spa to me is the um, oh I say it wrong the Mandara. I I like the Grand Floridian. I like Saratoga Springs, but the Mandara to me is is. Just more special. One thing about it, though, is it's small. So if you go in thinking it's going to be one of these giant spas with you know, forty treatment rooms and and uh, all kinds of stuff going on, it's not. But it's so soothing because it's it's very Balinese, and um, the area that you go to after your treatment is a, like a, they actually built it like a Balinese temple, and it's just wonderful. They'll bring your lunch in there. You can order it ahead, and they'll bring in a lunch, a cold lunch. Um, but the one thing that's lacking, though, is they don't have the whirlpool in the... Um, usually they have like a co-ed whirlpool, but they don't have the whirlpools in the, in the uh, locker rooms like some of the other uh, spas do. So a lot of people like to go and do the whirlpool, do the sauna, do the steam room. They have, I think, like a sauna, a sauna in one and steam in the other. So that's kind of what they're lacking there. But it, to me, it's the most indulgent spa on Disney property. Of course, it's not Disney-owned like the Grand Floridian and the spot Saratoga Springs. And this is in the Dolphin, correct? At the Dolphin. Secondly, I probably like the spot Saratoga Springs better than the Grand Floridian. I think probably the Grand Floridian needs a revamp, and I heard years ago they were going to do it, and they've yet to do it. So, spot Saratoga Springs, is, is, it's a larger spa, and uh, I, I kind of think it's a little better spa. And then they have a great, to me, the best fitness room on property is at Saratoga. So when you go, you can actually use the fitness room at the same time. I mean, go wait, go, to, go like to Walt Disney them. World and work out? No, no, that goes that goes far Come against. Come on, <laughs> some people do. 
I like to make a whole day of it. I think people run in, they get their, you know, they get their massage and they leave. I mean, come on, bring your workout. I go, I work out first, then I, you know, go shower and then kind of read and have some tea and get ready for my treatment, do the treatment, stick around, do a steam, sauna, whirlpool. I make a whole day of it. And, and I, you know, not on Disney property, but there's some Orlando spas that actually have their own pool. So I literally am going to get my money's worth and, you know, sit by the pool all day and have a spa lunch, too. Right. And the other thing I, w- I really need to be clear about, too, is I don't want people to hear this and say, well, you know, this is, doesn't interest me because I'll never be able to afford it. That's not necessarily true because you can go to some place like the Mandara Spa and get, get a, get a get massage. A right. Well, a massage, a 30-minute massage is $60. And Right. And it, exactly. You can get any treatment and, and you can, I think you can, I'm sure you can even get like a pedicure or a manicure and you still get to use the spa. Exactly. You know, everything in the spa. So, yes, you can do anything from, you know, I would say like a $50, $60 treatment would probably be the minimum up to a full day for $300. So, it just, you know, just make use of it. I've, I've gone in before and just had a very simple facial and just spent hours in there. All right, Kara. So you've made the mistake and you've given your wife your key to the world card with unlimited budget. Where is the, Where is she going to run to for the best place to shop on property? Oh, that's a <laughs> difficult question <laughs> Shopping? You know, I'm not a big souvenir buyer. So when I look for things, I don't... Everybody goes, but you know, you're right about Disney. You don't have all these Disney you know, souvenirs sitting all over your house. I like to shop for things that I'm going to use all the time, and um, I think probably the Grand Floridian has the best shopping for that. Um, they have really nice uh, women's clothing store, men's clothing store. They used to have a ballet, so they shut that down. But um, I, I have to say I do have a difficult time shopping on Disney property for things for myself that aren't Disney souvenirs. Of course, World Showcase, definitely. You know, you can always find something to bring home from World Showcase. And that can get anything from a small souvenir to, you know, leather purses in Italy to um, beautiful Christmas decorations in Germany. So I would suppose either the Grand Floridian or the World Showcase. Yeah, the, really the first thing that came to my mind was, especially if you are a Disney fan and maybe you want to bring home something really, really special to commemorate your trip or a certain event or whatever it might be, is maybe go to one of the Art of Disney stores because there's some beautiful they artwork. Yeah, sculpt. I mean, there's, you know, Armani figurines. If that's, you know, you talk about being indulgent, that's what you want to indulge right. in. Um, or but, everybody loves to sell, you know. Exactly. Those can get just crazy. I know my daughter always loves to go in there and shop. Of course, I have a grown daughter, so... That's her favorite place to shop. But the Art of Disney stores are really pretty wonderful. And, and you can, again, you can get something small to something extreme. Exactly. You can spend $30 on a hand-penciled drawing by a Disney artist of your favorite character, or you could spend, you know, if you want to spend thousands of dollars on a piece of original artwork, you can do that right. as well. So. Do they still do the watches? They do. They still do the yeah, watches. That's kind of cool, you know, that you could get your whatever character you want and have it done with the watch. So, Absolutely. Again, we're, we're talking about just some of those little indulgent, very special things. Um, but the other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was the other show that's going to be on the Travel Channel. This one's called the Disney Royal Treatment. And can tell us a little about that. And does this involve 
grown men dressed in tights, or what's his, what's the Disney royal treatment really about? It's kind of a girly show. <laughs> <laughs> it really, what they do is talk about and show actually people doing a fairy tale wedding and, and what it all involves and all the different wonderful places that you can have a fairy tale wedding and how you can have characters and, and great receptions. It also actually starts with young girls because they talk about the royal treatment with little girls and the Bibbidi Bobby Doo Boutique and the My Disney Girls Perfectly Princess Tea Party and, and kind of how royalty has been a part of Disney's past and particularly the classic princesses. So anybody that has a little girl knows all about those classic princesses. But uh, they talk about the, how they incorporate it into the theme parks and how the little girls can really go and feel like a princess, at least for the time they're at Walt Disney World. And then they also do Sweet 16 quinceanera parties, which are becoming really, really big. People are spending more on Sweet 16 and quinceaneras than they are on weddings. And Disney's really tapping into that, and they, have, they now have a whole program uh, for quinceaneras that you can book, you know, all different venues, anything from, say, a very simple um, maybe dessert party, watching the illumination shows with your friends, to a full-blown ballroom at the Grand Floridian with, you know, a big castle as a backdrop and all sorts of characters and orchestras. And uh, so that's, I think a lot of people don't realize it that they really do have a great program for that. It's a bit like the fairy tale weddings where you actually have a planner that's going to plan it out for you. So because I have a young daughter, you're telling me I'm in some serious, serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. Start saving those pennies. <laughs> but you know, really, if you think about it, fairy tale weddings and, and Sweet 16 and Kichinetta, think how easy that would be. I mean, expensive, but can you imagine having Disney plan that for you? It would be pretty stress-free if you ask me. I mean, you just go, you make your choices, and not having to constantly worry if it's going to be done, you know. And done right. And you you know it's going to be done right, right. exactly. Exactly. To me, I I think I might like that. If I have a 25-year-old, and I I don't think her fiancé will want to do that, but she'd probably do it in a heartbeat. But it would be really very stress-free if you ask me. Yeah, and and I've been through the wedding process before, and I've and I've seen the checks get written for the wedding. So, uh, in retrospect, and, and that's the thing too, you know, you can do a Disney wedding, and sure, you want to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars and have three hundred of your closest friends be there. You can right hire out the Magic Kingdom exactly, but you can also do smaller, more intimate things. And like you said, you don't even have to rent out the wedding pavilion. There's plenty of locations on property that you exactly. can do. More. You can get married at uh, in you know all kinds of places. Like the Wilderness Lodge has a, has a nice area that you can overlook that beautiful courtyard area. They have a, a place right there near the boardwalk that I know you've seen when you walk from the boardwalk to Epcot. There, uh, I think you can get married in the Yacht Club Gardens. There's all kinds of places, but uh, the most popular you know is the Wedding Pavilion, and it's pretty wonderful. Right. So, like I said, you can you can splurge without breaking the bank and still have some of these memorable moments that, that really last a lifetime. But all right, I, I want to have some fun with you, Karen. I want to kind of really dream big. And I want you pretend that you've just hit the mega millions. You, you've won the lottery. Yay! <laughs> and you want to share it with your, your closest friends, of course. But you, you have one day to spend in mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. And I want you to just... One day. One day. I want you to lay... One day, the, one night. One, one day, day one, one night. night. One day, one night. Obviously, okay. money is no object, you know... 
this is not necessarily, this is just to have fun. This is not something that you or I or the, the average listener might be able to do. But, you know, what do you think Disney could really do in that day to, to knock your socks off? Well, first of all, you want to get picked up in the airport in a limo. And you want to hire a VIP tour guide. So you have someone who is going, you're not going to have to think one bit that entire day. They're going to indulge you and take you wherever you want to go. You want to check into one of the biggest suites on property. I'd say I would either do the Grand Floridian Presidential Suite or, but, or my, my favorite suite, I think, on property is the Animal Kingdom Lodge. They're presidential. Circular living room. You have just a beautiful circular balcony overlooking Savannah, watching the animals. So that would be a real indulgence to me. I would spend a little bit of time in the park, and with a VIP tour guide, they, you cannot actually get front of the row. I mean, you actually don't go to the front of the line, but they're so savvy that they know how to work it to where you feel like you're getting front of the line. They may put you on a ride that doesn't have um, a weight, run and get you fast passes. You know, they, they just plan it out for you so that you, a lot of people think, oh, I got front of the line. You don't have front-of-the-line access. You just feel that way. Spend a little bit of time doing my favorite rides in the park. Then I would like to do um, the most expensive spa treatment at the Manjara. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's see, what would that be? I can't remember. <laughs> then I would like to, of course, your... Um, concierge so you could pick up a little bite at the concierge maybe have um a champagne on your balcony head down to the grand one yacht definitely got to do the grand one yacht um do a spin on the grand one yacht and then come back and do the chef's table at victoria and albert hmm. and do we have any time left in the day all I know is that you left your husband in the dust way back when you left for the spas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my husband loves the spas. Come on, Lou. You need to get with it. Well, maybe he'll go golfing. Maybe he'll do golfing or go to no, a Richard... No, spa. no. He... Spa. Okay. You can do a couple's treatment. Oh, there you go. Okay. Couple's treatment. Candlelit room. Both of you, you know, having a massage at the same time. I think at, at Saratoga Springs, one of you gets a hydrotherapy treatment while the other one gets the massage and then you then you have tea in between and then it flips and the other person gets a massage the other gets hydrotherapy treatment very nice so uh oh wait 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 (laughs) the next morning you get up and do a hot air balloon ride it's not run by disney but there is a company that does hot air balloon rides that would just be one day give me a week and i can keep going (laughs) (laughs) although actually sometimes i feel like when i visit disney that's kind of how I feel like my week goes. It's like, wow. <laughs> I did so many great things and oh, all these nice spa treatments and just, you know, indulge myself. Yeah, your research... I, hardly, I honestly hardly ever make it to the park. I was going to say, your research trips are a little bit different than my research. I have to come and research Disney with you. I want to come and hang with you for a week. <laughs> all around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I'm getting ready to go next next month and putting it all together and already getting excited, so... Good, good. Well, we should mention, too, that obviously uh, this all came about because you're also the author of The Luxury Guide to Walt Disney World. Uh, That's in its second edition. And, you know, the book really talks a lot more than just about 
some of these indulgent opportunities and luxury accommodations and most expensive wines and caviars. It's really a full-fledged guidebook. Can you tell us a little bit just about, um, you know, what, what's in the book? Yes, I, I, I cover, you know, kind of the Disney basics that everyone needs, you know, when to go, what to, what to bring, what your transportation is. But I, I only cover the deluxe resorts. Of course, I do cover more than Walt Disney World. I cover the, the deluxe resorts around Walt Disney World and <clears throat> Universal Orlando speak, Resort. Speak not of that place. It has some nice <laughs> But my focus is Walt Disney World. Um, so I only cover the deluxe resorts. And what I do a little bit different than some of the other guidebooks is I, I go extensively into the concierge services, you know, what to expect, what kind of uh, food they have, what the, what the lounge is like. I, I cover suites. So I spend a lot of my time looking at suites when I'm there, which is a lot of fun. So I, I go into uh, extensively into what to expect in, in different types of suites at, at each property. And then I do um, kind of dining and style. I, I cover the finer restaurants on Walt Disney World and, and in the Orlando area. So, you know, I think that everything has its place in Walt Disney World, and I think that uh, Disney's value resorts are fantastic if if that's going to be what you can do for a Disney vacation. And I think that their regular restaurants are fun, a lot of fun, but I just really wanted to zero in on the more luxurious restaurants. So therefore I don't cover, say, um, yeah, I don't know. Pop one, You know. Right. Something that I, I, like in World Showcase, I cover what I think are the best ones. Um, I don't really cover like Rose and Crown because I don't think that's the best food on property, even though it's the best illumination view. But, um, and I don't cover like Kona Cafe because, you know, it's not the finer dining. Right. But the one thing so I was surprised... That's that, and then I, I do spas. I do uh, all sorts of... I go into all sorts of fun things to do on Walt Disney property, like the fireworks cruises and, and uh, you know, my Perfectly Princess Tea Parties and things like that. And um, so I just want somebody that, that is interested in going and, and having a luxury vacation kind of have all that at their fingertips and not have to wade through probably the things that aren't really going to interest them or apply to them. I do cover the theme parks, but I only cover the best of. So, you know, I think my book is a really good companion to, you know, another book that's going to go really extensively into the theme park. Well, the, the, the thing that I found interesting when I was reading through it was it's not just, you know, about how to light your Cuban cigar on the balcony of your, you know, boardwalk villa oh, resort. a little more practical. Yeah, and, 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 you know, dip your ashes into your, you know, what's left of your beluga caviar. You actually talk about, <laughs> for example, the concierge-level rooms. You talk about how that actually might make sense dollar-wise if you right. use it the right way. And if you have a family that's going to take advantage of going there for breakfast and snacking there or having a light lunch there, it might actually make sense on the front end to spend that little bit of extra money to get that extra level of service and, and accommodation. Right, and, and I, you really have to wait. I mean, I also do Disney travel, so when people come to me and they want to book a, a package to Walt Disney World, I really want to know how they, how they envision their time there. And if they're going to be at the parks from morning till night, which a lot of people are, I say absolutely not, don't do concierge. You're wasting your money. They are. If you're not there to, you know, if all you're going to do is grab breakfast, forget it. Grab it at the fast food places, you know. If, you know, to me, I like to go back, I'd like to, you know, shower after the parks and, and then sit down and have a nice glass of wine and some more d'oeuvres and, 
you know, maybe hang out by the pool a day or two so that I'm there for afternoon snacks. I think the concierge lounges are fantastic. So, yeah, you do have to weigh that. And, and it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. But it is a nice feeling of kind of being in a, a small hotel within this larger complex. And, and a lot of people really like that. They like the personalized uh, attention that they're going to get from the people in the concierge lounge. And, you know, you can use them also to, you know, they'll plan all your dining for you ahead of time. And sometimes they have a little bit of way of getting you into places that you might not be able to do on your own, like Cinderella's Royal Table. <laughs> But um, it, it's really helpful, you know, that, because what they do is, like with Cinderella's Royal Travel, we all know that you've got to get up at, you know, be on the phones at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, you know, exactly 180 days prior, you're not going to get it. What they do is they put you on a wait list, and when you're about, what is, what is the cancellation there? 48 hours, I think. I believe so. Whenever that cancellation is for, for that deposit, they just go in and start booking people, you know when those cancellations start coming through. So that's a real plus, too, with concierge. Yeah, I've, I've talked to people and, and listeners have written in who have done it, and they swear by it. You know, And again, if, it's, yes. it, if it fits within the budget, sometimes it really works out well for, for families. Right, right. and, it, and it, it is a lot of fun. Of course, I have my favorites in the concierge, but um, I just think that some of them are, the food is so much better than, than some of the other concierge, like Wilderness Lodge and Animal Kingdom. I truly think that their food is so good because they do not have um, convention services there. It, it, whereas, as much as I love the lounges at the Contemporary, because they are spectacular now they've redone them, you're going to get more convention-type food. It's kind of like if you go to a cocktail party at a convention with the little puff pastries and the mini quiches. That's more what they have. Where if you go to the Wilderness Lodge, I mean, you'll sit down and have uh, pork loin with apples and caramelized onions and you know, amazing food to where I have a hard time going to dinner. So, so again, you might want to weigh that out when you think about, is it worth it? Is this what I really want to do? Absolutely. So, and there's obviously much more information in the book. Um, it's the luxury guide to Walt Disney World. I'll put a link up in the show notes this week to the book, as well as your website, which is luxurydisneyguide.com, where you can also go and subscribe to Kara's free newsletter. And don't forget to mark your calendars. The two series is... Uh, Disney Splurge, the, that's going to originally air on April 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern. The other is Disney's Royal Treatment. That's going to air first on May 2nd at 9 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, those will be repeated um, time and time again on the Travel Channel. But uh, set your TiVos and, and mark your time because I know as a Disney fan, I'm really looking forward to these two shows. And, Kara, I have to just say on a personal level, you were one of the people I met very early on when I started doing this Disney thing, and you've always been very nice, and you've always helped me out, and I'm really, really happy for you uh, with the Travel Channel specials and uh, with the success of your book, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to me today. Thank you, Lou. With the 10th anniversary of Disney's Animal Kingdom right around the corner on April 22nd, I've been looking at the park recently on the show in a variety of ways, from highlighting some of the park's conservation efforts 
to its animal research and care programs with Dr. Ann Savage, to the care and feeding of the animals at the Nutrition Center, and even by highlighting and getting a unique look at the park's signature attraction, the Kilimanjaro Safari. But this week, I want to take a more practical look at the parks and talk about the entire experience, because for many years, and really since its inception, Disney's Animal Kingdom has been referred to by many as a quote-unquote half-day park, uh, a place maybe to visit early in the morning, leave by early afternoon so that you can enjoy some other parks or places in Walt Disney World. And in fact, there are many places online where you can go to get advice and information on how to really best approach that strategy, to, to run in early, grab a fast pass here, run there, run back here, and be able to get out by noon, one o'clock. And for some people, that may be an option for how they'd like to, to tour the park. But what I want to do is show you another approach. I want to show you and prove to you that Disney's Animal Kingdom is not just a half-day park, but an incredibly immersive experience and a place that should be explored, savored, and enjoyed for a full day. And to help me show you how and why you should enjoy Disney's Animal Kingdom for a full day and more is Jeff Pepper. So, Jeff Jumbo. Jumbo Lou, pleasure to be here, and I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Animal Kingdom has literally evolved, unintended, to be uh, one of my very, very favorite experiences at Walt Disney World. And I think we have to really kind of talk to people about the approach they take to it because it's a very non-traditional approach that you take to Animal Kingdom as opposed to other Disney theme parks. Absolutely. And we, you know, we've hinted to this many times on the show before when we did, you know, an hour long discussion on Dino Land, which, you know, which surprised a lot of people. But, you know, I also want to qualify this and say, look, there, there really is no right or wrong way to approach touring any of the parks, obviously Disney's Animal Kingdom included. You have to do what's going to work best for you and your family and time constraints, whatever. So however you choose to tour is perfectly fine. But, you know, for so long, it's frustrated those of us that love Disney's Animal Kingdom because it's had this reputation as the redheaded stepchild, as being the half-day park with little to do and even less to see. And I think, and Jeff, obviously you agree that it's the exact opposite. Yeah, because it's it's not an attraction centric park so much um it is very much you can't tour it the same way you would tour the magic kingdom or epcot or even mgm studios excuse me disney disney's hollywood studios i apologize for that faux pas but it's it's very much it has to be approached differently because it's it's a very different experience and it, and it really runs counter to a lot of the established kind of um strategies that have been set up all these years where you run in in the morning go to your specific attractions to get them out of the way it, Animal Kingdom isn't about line management or queue management. It's it's really like you said. It's about exploring. I mean, there is a degree, you know, of queue strategy or you know trying to minimize your weights on some of the highlight attractions like Everest or the safaris. But it's not. You, you can't really kind of make your day revolve around that kind of a strategy because if you do, you're truly, truly missing out. Some of it's much, much, really sort of. I would think top line attractions that don't really get credited that way. I agree with you. And and when we talk about enjoying some of these things, we don't even mean it as, you know, a Lou and Jeff Uber geek fest where we're having you stare at, you know, light posts and garbage pails and, and the floor. There really is a lot. And we're going to kind of take this through park by park because like I hinted to in the intro, you really could actually take enough time and spend not just one day, but two days in the parks. And as soon as you stop laughing, I will explain to you at the end of the segment 
how I think it can and possibly for some people should be done, especially when the park is only open till five o'clock. Um, but I think the first hint that I would give anybody, whether you are an Animal Kingdom veteran or not, is that you should definitely get a map when you get in and study it. Not just to get a sense of where everything is above and beyond just the e-ticket attractions because you want to make sure you don't miss anything. And some things like Pangani and even stuff in the Oasis can easily be missed. Um, and because the park is so very lush and so very winding pathways, it's very easy to sometimes uh, get a little bit misdirected if, if you only have a certain destination in mind. Yeah, it's, it's very much um, disorienting when you're they're visiting it for the first time because the hub being um, Discovery Island is very densely landscaped and it's it's very easy to get very kind of where am I at? Am I heading east west? Am I going towards Dinoland? Am I near Africa? So the map the map is crucial. Absolutely. And even before I mean you almost inadvertently illustrated a point because the first thing you talked about was Discovery Island. But the Oasis, which is the area that you enter as soon as you get through the turnstiles, is a place that you can and should take a little bit of time going through because you have to sort of get through this. This is almost like the Main Street USA of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And there are lots of animals to explore here. You can also get a lot of hands-on experiences, especially early in the morning, with cast members who bring some of the smaller animals and insects and whatnot out um, to play around with. But there's fish and turtles and wallabies and anteaters. Uh, there's a lot of different types of birds that you can, again, take your time and sort of, I, I have to keep using the word, enjoy and explore because that's what this land was meant to do. And yeah, and that's an interesting point you bring up, Lou, is because, again, if you're sort of following the, the tried and true formula for theme park exploration or strategies, your inclination is at the beginning of the day, you're zipping right through the Oasis. You're, you're heading, going through at 90 miles an hour because you're trying to get to Everest or you're trying to get your fast passes for the safari. And then the problem is, is then later on in the day, when you're kind of had a full day or you're ready to leave, you're so tired that you're sort of going, heading for the exit and you're once again, you're sort of zipping right through the Oasis again because you're, you just want to get out and get going. And so you're kind of doing it an injustice at either end of the day that way. So you really need to stop and kind of look around. And as you said, the cast members are there frequently in the morning. And they've got some great stuff. The kids always like to stop and look at what they've got to show them. Yeah, and for me, it really sets the tone of the entire experience of the day that you're going to have. I talked and I was talking about the landscape uh, in a previous show about how Disney's Animal Kingdom to me envelops you and embraces you and it's in the oasis that you get that feeling and the analogy to Main Street USA is more prevalent that you might actually pick up in, in a number of ways so for example the same way Main Street USA has shops on either side that you're supposed to stop and browse through the areas where the animals are and they're not really pens they're environments that, that you normally find these animals in are meant to sort of occupy your time the same way stop and browse through on your way in or on your way out. And if you, you really look on your as you exit Africa and Discovery Island and go through the Oasis, you'll look and see on either side there's sort of the um, alleyways or exit ways outside the park. If you look very carefully, the rock work creates those two archways which are very similar to the archways that you would exit out of as you go through Main Street USA towards the monorail or the ferries. 
And the other thing here too is the animals are very, very accessible. I think people do not realize just how very visible they are and how very close to them you are. Uh, the best, one of the best examples and one of the things I enjoy are the macaws that I believe are in one of the central areas that typically are on perches. You're you're very close to them, and it, that's one of the the real kind of magics of Animal Kingdom overall is you you get pretty up close and personal with the animals despite it being a situation where you necessarily aren't supposed to or can't and they it's been imagineered in such a brilliant way to give you that sense that you're very very close even though they've got some sort of invisible parameters there to protect you and the animals exactly and it really like i said i think it sets the stage for what's to come and it might just be a subconscious thing that you don't realize but when you walk through and you have that big reveal of the Tree of Life on Discovery Island, uh, you really get the sense that you've been transported much as you are when you walk through the, the archways in Main Street USA to a different time and a different place. And Discovery Island is the hub of Disney's Animal Kingdom, not just metaphorically as it, the, the areas that radiate from it, but it's the hub because that's where the Tree of Life exists, and that's where a lot of the shops and some of the restaurants exist. So it really is sort of the, the central hub of this this giant park. And here, too, is another place that's not just meant to be a transitory area. It's a place that you can see animals like kangaroos and flamingos, cranes, lots of different birds, uh, porcupines, tortoises, whatnot. So there's more here than just the tree and then branch out, let's run here, let's run there. Another place you should take the time um, and enjoy, and obviously there's uh, there's the Tree of Life, which is an attraction in and of itself, notwithstanding the attraction that occupies the space underneath and inside of it. Yeah, the Tree of Life, um, the the animal sculptures built into the Tree of Life, is a visual wonder, and it's it's a key thing because you have to experience it from different vantage points throughout the park. You know, you've got so many different ways to see it you just it's, it's not just a matter of standing in front of cinderella castle and there's the castle you know you have to explore once again i think that i guess the theme of our thing here is going to be explore or exploration i really see that coming to where we're really focusing because the tree of life is a perfect example whereas you you've got to go almost on the back side of it near Af- the walkway between africa and asia to see those vantage points you have to go through the queue to it's tough to be a bug to see the details in that aspect of it. So it's it's just something that you you can take in from so many different places and so many different vantage points. Yeah, and we were talking we've talked about this you know before both on and offline about the 325 animals that are carved in there and we had said you know there really is no list and I actually get this question a lot is there a list of the animals and now that we're talking about it maybe that's done purposely so that you can take the time and walk around and try and not just identify ones that are on the list, but identify them for yourself and see if you can figure it out and almost make a game out of figuring out what these animals are. Um, and it, it becomes something fun to do as well. And you can also see, you really have to go through the queue of It's Tough to Be a Bug in order to see some more of the ones that are really sort of uh, in the root of the tree. And there are, the, another very important point um, about Discovery Island is sort of similar to the Oasis, but almost a little bit more indiscreet in the script. Sorry. (laughs) Is the fact that there are kind of what they call hidden trails or secret trails. They're not really so much hidden or secret. They're there, but they're just, people just don't take advantage of them. And they like, again, 
they meander through different um, habitats, different settings. There's just so much there that is just very, very overlooked, and you just got to keep a sharp eye out. And again, this is something that I think is fun for both adults and for kids, being able to stop and see these different habitats and explore these trails that, you're right, for the most part are somewhat hidden, and you can't even really see them on the map very well. They want you to kind of wind your way through and find them for yourselves, and you're going to be surprised at some of the things that you see. But again, we talk about the Tree of Life not just being the icon. Uh, you know, we're talking about touring the park. It's Tough to Be a Bug is one of the signature attractions. It's a 3D slash 4D film that has characters, obviously, from A Bug's Life. Uh, I love it. I think it is one of the better uh, 3D films, and we won't get to, into the characters in the park thing, but I think it just works in here perfectly from going through the queue to the queue itself inside with all of the movie posters themed to bugs, uh, the message that it sends. Sometimes it could be a little scary and hairy for kids because of, of some of the 4D effects, but um, I really, really like it, and it's definitely a must-do on anybody's touring list. Yeah, I agree, and it and really, again, you know, like you said, there is a bit of a scare factor for, for preschoolers and such, so you got to kind of take that into consideration, but it has one of the best... Uh, most sophisticated audio animatronics in uh, Hopper. It's, his his animatronic is a real treat, and um, once again, it kind of that 4D aspect of the movie more so than so much of the any other any of the other 3D movies is the animatronic interaction here. Yeah, and we can really do a whole segment, and at some point we probably will uh, about the attraction itself because there's a lot to uncover there, and there are a lot of details. So you know, we always talk about stopping and looking up and looking down. Well, the queue before you get into the repertory theory theater uh, is a great place to do that. But let's move on to the next. Obviously, we're, we're highlighting the fact that you can spend time in two lands that don't really, you know, on the map anyway, have a lot to see. And, and the other thing we should mention about Discovery Island, maybe, Jeff, before we go through, is the number of shops that are there as well and how much time you can spend exploring and enjoying the shops, even if you're just browsing there's so many cool details and there's so many uh, great things that the Imagineers have done to theme these shops so well. Yeah, the shops are amazing. Um, we'll throw throw a plug out to uh, Jessica, our good friend over at uh, If You Can Dream It uh, blog. Um, she's been done a great job of documenting and taking pictures of the interiors of these shops. And just each shop in and of itself has a theme to its decor. And they're very distinct from the others. And, I mean, I, I, it, they, there's so much there. I, I'm hard-pressed to even bring back the details. But I know one shop is kind of, I remember there's like beavers and kind of almost this sort of western, northwestern type of feel to it. But in very bright pastel colors, there's another shop that has a lot of, I think, butterfly type theme to it. Um, an interesting thing is my son had to use the first aid station. And that was identified by the only place in the park that um, has a butterfly Um motif to it on the exterior so there's just it's it's a very all the shops are very tied together by the design the sort of the central design theme being very very whimsical um and like i said sort of bright pastel colors but then each individual shop again as i said is themed to a specific kind of animal or nature theme and even places like flame tree barbecue which is arguably one of my favorite places to eat counter service wise in the park has that same kind of theming look at the chairs and look at some of the pillars the theme here is predators and prey so each chair has predators and there's prey on each of the tables places like beastly bazaar has uh water creatures and crabs and fish 
uh, Creature Comforts has all animals that are spotted and striped. And this is where uh, you can pick it up by noticing the ladybug lamps that are outside. But if you take your time and go through Island Mercantile and Disney Outfitters and even Pete Safari, they all, and even some of the, the little kiosks, like the Safari Coffee, has little hyperactive animals like, um, you know, kangaroo rats and things like that. So that theming carries through everywhere. And again, Jeff, we could really do a DSI on the shops and restaurants of Discovery Island alone. And then extending those design dynamics, they just extend those type of props and set pieces out into the vegetation. Um, one of the things is, that's very interesting is, you know, if you happen to just sit down on a bench on Discovery Island for a few minutes, look around, look behind you, look in the vegetation. Chances are you're going to see some type of sculpture or some type of set piece or some type of just this mini vignette of an artistic de- de- depiction of nature. It's it's just amazing. And they're just all over the place. Uh, you know, it's kind of I was at the top of the show. I was going to kind of jump in at some point and say, but. Animal Kingdom is more densely themed, I think, than any other theme park Disney has done. And I mean, and, and that's just, you know, set pieces or kind of just visual candy per square inch, I guess is the best way to describe it. You, you can't turn around without seeing something like that. And again, you know, we're not, you know, we could spend hours as we all often do on details, but that's what this place is all about because it's it's just all over the place. Absolutely. But in, in hopes of not spending hours on this segment, <laughs> um, we're, we're going to move along. And I'm actually going to go in, in a clockwise fashion, and I'm going to go to Camp Mickey Mickey. And, and it's good that we're, we're highlighting this next, because this is one of those lands that I think people might look at on a map and say, well, there's not really much here. Why am I going to kind of make this trek down this pathway to see Camp Mickey Mickey? I wholeheartedly disagree, especially if you have young kids. This is the place to take them. Obviously, Festival of the Lion King is without a doubt one of the top two shows in all of Walt Disney World I think it's near Broadway quality Uh, it's a high energy show something that kids will be able to interact with um, depending on where you're sitting the whole audience gets to interact Um, I think the music is wonderful I I can't say enough good things about it but if you have younger kids or if you're into characters there's Pocahontas and her forest friends which is definitely geared towards the younger set but there are live animals and there's music and it's a nice little show. It's a nice little short show. But there's also, this is the place to go if you want to meet characters. And whether you're an adult that, that likes to collect character autographs or you have kids that uh, do, you have four character greeting trails where you can meet Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, as well as some other characters th- through their obviously theme to the whole Animal Kingdom environment. And I just want to, I kind of want to add there to what you said, Lou, is, is, you know, you're specifically talking about the Pocahontas show. And yes, it definitely very much is themed and kind of, not, I don't want to say geared to younger children, but it's very, very suitable for younger children. But it, it, I consider it, you know, I'm, I'm probably sticking my neck out here, but I consider it kind of a hidden treasure. It is a very, very low-key, gentle type of show that's very the opposite of something like, you know, Legend uh, Festival of the Lion King. But it is just very amazing because the animals interact in such a way that's very natural. Um, it's it's kind of, you know, her forest friends. And the way the sh- show, show is staged... It's very logistically well done for what you when you kind of stop and think how well they had to manage these animals because they're not your typical trained animals. They're raccoons, they're rabbits, and it's just there's a lot of oohs and ahs that come out of the audience when I watch this show, and I think it's just because of just the nature of how they present it and how well how, how well done it is. True, and, and as we're talking about you know making a full day out out of the park, and like I said, we're going to talk about 
uh, you know, a way to sort of tour to still get the most time for your for your day for your or for your money. Festival of the Lion King is one of these shows that you're not just going to walk right up into five minutes before it starts. You really need to start queuing up for this show, probably a good half hour to 45 minutes or even longer, uh, depending on the time of year you go, because it's that because it's that busy. Even though the theater holds around 1,400 or so people, the show lasts 30 minutes. So you're looking at there's a good probably hour and a half that you're going to take just on Festival of the Lion King. And another thing, Lou, um, you know, the, the shows are the big draw there and also the character greetings. But again, we're going to belabor ourselves here, but look around. Camp Mini Mini has a specific theme. It's it's kind of an Adirondack summer camp type of atmosphere. The characters are featured. But again, look around. There's there's sort of little vignettes of the characters that involve them fishing, hiking. Um, and it's just there's a very, very neat decor there that is themed along that way. It's not a very big place geographically, but again, densely themed and just take your time. Don't run back to the Discovery Island to head somewhere else. Kind of take your time walking out and take a look around. Absolutely. But definitely one of the most popular areas um, because it, it's so well themed and because it, it highlights really the park's signature attraction is Africa. And it's set in this fictional village, which is just themed incredibly well, called Harambi. Uh, obviously, the Kilimanjaro safaris are there. Another overlooked attraction in my eyes, and again, worthy of its own DSI, which it will get in the future, is the Pangani Forest Exploration Trail. And again, one of the things that really distinguishes Animal Kingdom, much more so than any of the other parks, is their very, very densely themed with story. And Africa is a prime example. As you said, it is a it is a fictional village and there is so much backstory to be discovered and it's all integrated. Um, the things that are up there in the village, like Tusker House, um, the old fort, um, going into Pangani Trail and also to um, Kilimanjaro Safaris. If you look around, the posters, the decor, Things tie together. There is something that might be on the wall over at Tusker House that points you directly to an experience that's over in Kilimanjaro Safaris. The people that enter, there, there are specific fictional characters that have been created as researchers on the Pangani Trail that tie into Kilimanjaro Safaris because it's it's the wildlife preserve. Um, you've got to look around, but it's it's got a very distinct story. And if you go in with that approach, you'll sort of slow down and realize that there's a whole kind of big picture here to put together rather than just jump on the safari jump off yeah and, and pangani like we said is a great example of a place that look disney's animal kingdom is, is not a place to sprint through it's a place to meander through it's not about the destination it's about the journey and pangani is definitely a, the, along this it's a microcosm of that same thought because it's not about the destination of reaching the gorillas at the end it's taking your time and going through the research station at the beginning, looking at the different birds in the aviary and the hippo exhibit and the the sort of overlooked point where you can kind of see the savannah. There's so much to see there and potentially see that every time you go, it's going to be a completely different experience. And this it's a self-guided walking tour, and that's exactly what you should do, is just take your time and walk through it. And you'll find cast members throughout the the trail who will be there to answer questions and help sort of fill in some of those gaps to that story that you're talking about and again it's you know there's a dynamic there that because there isn't a queue line then there must not be a payoff as you said the journey is the payoff 
Absolutely. And the other thing, too, about Africa that I like are, again, some of those details. You know, wander through the Dawa bar. You know, go pick up a drink, go relax, and listen. Listen not just to the music, maybe from the live performers, but listen to some of the sound effects that are coming from the back of the Dawa bar by the, the door by the Tusker house. Go look at the fort that it is. Look down by the water and see some of the details that are left there and see if you can find the little remaindered detail of what might have been Beastly Kingdom. See if you can find the Dragon's Cave that's back there. Because there's just a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And again, looking up and down and around. And obviously the other part of Africa, right next door, is Rafiki's Planet Watch. And it, This is a good area to kind of bring this in here. Again, a place that the journey is part of the fun. And granted, is it more so geared towards younger people and kids? Absolutely. But I still believe there is a lot for adults to do here. And when we talked to Dr. Ann Savage a while back, she talked to us about some of the things that are going on with the animal care specialists and some of the things you can see through those windows, which are not only educational and really sort of enlightening, but they're, they're fun as well. And I think, sadly, a lot of people don't make that journey because you have to do it by train. There, it is not accessible any other way. There, you can't get there by walking or anything else. And I think a lot of people get put off by sort of, again, having this train ride with not necessarily this e-ticket at the end of it. And that's not the way to approach it. It's there. There's so much to do there. Like you said, a lot of it is geared to kids, but it's very interactive. And I, there's just always something very, very cool going on behind the glass where they're doing the actual, I mean, you can see surgeries going on, all kinds of things. See, now, I think the train, and, and forgive me, is one of the best parts. I, I like that unique side, you know, where you sit sideways on the train and you get some unique views. You see through some of the animal housing and care facilities. You kind of come close to Asia um, on the backside when you return. I like the Wildlife Express train. I think it's just, a, it's a very neat, quaint little thing. But there's, again, there's so much to do for kids, especially inside Rafiki's Planet Watch. There's Conservation Station, again, where you can learn a lot more about the conservation work that goes on, which, as we've highlighted, is so important. There's the affection section. People might not realize there's actually a little petting, I hate to use the word zoo, but a little petting area back there with goats and sheep and things like that. Um, there's the Habitat Habit. And plenty of and plenty of hand disinfection. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, much along the same lines as and I just use this as a, a distant example, a place like the Pooh's Playful Spot, a place that you can let your kids go and roam around and have some fun, expend some of that energy, but learn something and interact with animals in a way that they can't in many other places. That's what I'd really like to. And, and I, I want to mention here, too, as we're talking about kids, Jeff, there is so much for kids to do. A lot of people don't realize, and this is why I said to pick up your map too at the beginning, there are kids' discovery clubs throughout the park, um, analogous to the Kidcot fun stops that you'll find in Epcot Future World and World Showcase. This discovery clubs, again, gives these kids something to do and interact with um, as they make their way through the park, and they're for young kids, you know, on the way up to the teens. And they're great. I mean, as growing up, as my kids have grown up with Animal Kingdom, because both were very young when it opened, I've seen the interaction. The cast members are wonderful, and they're great at, again, so many of these places, they'll be set up as you're exiting an attraction. I know there's one particular spot that's back close to uh, 
tough to be a bug, but the cast members kind of reel the kids in. I mean, as they're going past, it's kind of interesting to see them catch their attention. And then the next thing you know, 10 or 15 minutes have passed as they've done this kind of activity or, you know, involve them in, in actual, you know, creatures. Yeah. And from a practical perspective, you know, because you are, we're talking about, you know, exploring and, and touring the parks from a practical perspective, it's no big secret at this point that the best time to ride an attraction like the Kilimanjaro Safari is first thing in the morning. Not only because will there be no wait if you get there very early, but number two, because it's normally cooler, this is probably the best opportunity that you'll have to see some of the animals like the lions and the cheetahs, uh, who for the most part, like most cats, lay around all day out and about on the savannah. And believe it or not, the same holds true for Rafiki's Planet Watch. And you might say, well, why am I going to go? Why would I not go to an e-ticket attraction like Everest or the safaris first? Because if you go very early to um, Conservation Station, that's your probably your best chance to see animals in the exam rooms going through procedures, you know, having surgery done or having uh, some sort of, sort of procedure done that you can watch. I mean, when I was there, they had this monstrous 300-pound lion or however heavy it was on the operating table. They were doing something on his teeth. And if you were there at that time, you would have been able to see some portions of that exam through some of those windows. So you really might be able to see something that you wouldn't be able to see other times throughout the day. But let's move on. Speaking of Everest, let's move next door to Asia. And before we talk about Everest, which again, to me, is undoubtedly one of the best attractions in all of Walt Disney World. Again, a lot more here to see, Jeff, than just the Yeti. And it's very important since we are moving clockwise It's very important to take the trail that exists between Africa and Asia that's on the, I guess, north side of Discovery Island there. It's it's one of, it's a fairly well-traveled walkway, but it's not crazy. And if you get it in kind of a quiet time, it's very beautiful. And one of the places where Divine hangs out a lot and frequent uh, visitors to uh, Animal Kingdom will know what we're talking about, uh, who Divine is. And it also kind of leads you up to where the uh, stage is for the uh, Flights of Wonder show. And that's exactly where I was going next, because I think Flights of Wonder is a true hidden treasure. I think a lot of people blow this attraction off, uh, but it's a great uh, it's a great show for adults and kids. You can It's got a story to it. There's lots of different birds that you can see that literally fly right over your head. Uh, there's Guano Joe there. I went with my kids. I was very much entertained. I really, really liked... Uh, what I saw there. I agree. It's it's kind of what I was talking about with Pocahontas. The same kind of thing. Very small, very intimate setting, but very very entertaining and just very once again lots of oohs and ahs. I mean, it's 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 amazing that you know you you have people over there screaming on Everest or you know making their mad dashes for the tickets, and here's something that's very intimate that you see has a visible reaction on the audience. It's just, it's very tangible how much they're enjoying it. Right, and again, I'm going to mention the time of the show, which is about 25 to 30 minutes, because again, it's not, we're showing you that there's a lot of time that you can take doing these things, not just let me hurry through, you know, hit Everest, hit the safari, you know, hit Dinosaur, and let me get out. Uh, this is one of those things that's, that's absolutely worth the half hour for the show. Again, Jeff... There's the Maharaja Jungle Trek. There's another one of these walking tours that I really like because when you talk about 
story that you can that's visible that you can see in in some of the relics and some of the, the details and the props but the story that the cast members can tell you um again definitely worthy of a dsi will do in the future but this this really gives you the sense of being in this royal forest and this this kingdom of anandapur and and being immersed in southeast asia somewhere and yeah and again it's 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 a masterpiece of imagineering and when you take into consideration that they're creating this a setting a, a, an imagineering type of setting combine it with an animal habitat i mean i think to me that's the real genius of animal kingdom is you know you took something that wasn't atypical a product of imagineering and you know they had to really engineer this to be you know habitats it had to work on so many different levels and it's a masterpiece i mean it's a visual visual masterpiece uh, maharaja jungle check is just so visually stunning to me on so many levels and again you know talk, telling the story about it and it was funny is I, I spoke to somebody once and you know was talking about it and they were saying oh you're just walking through and looking at the tigers and i said no you're actually you know you're in southeast asia and you're walking through the relics of an old royal uh, hunting retreat and they went huh <laughs> right. and 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 it's like that's the thing you know it's all there i mean and it's not even the, the we talk about hidden details these details aren't hidden i mean all you got to do is stop and read the signs exactly. <laughs> you know there's there's plenty of visual narration for you to kind of follow in doing this and that's why to me when you kind of walk through and realize then what you're walking through it's it, it just makes it incredible because why is it a hunting lodge well because there's all the tigers hanging out right. so it's it's very very cool and there's also a section two uh, near the end where there's these giant stone tablets on the right-hand side. Now, as I was walking through with some friends, Jessica from If We Can Dream It included, we were looking at them and wondering what it was, and we sat there and, and I was able to figure out what the story was. And I won't spoil it here, but there's a story that these tablets tell, and it was so much fun talking it out and trying to figure it out uh, exactly what the deliberate intent of the Imagineers was to put that there. So, but obviously... There's also Cali River Rapids and Expedition Everest. And Cali River Rapids is, again, filled with great story and a wonderful, wonderful queue. Um, as far as touring-wise, for me, Jeff, I mean, you're going to get soaked. I mean, it's a, it's somewhat Russian roulette because there's a chance you might walk out dry. But, you know, chances are, if I'm a gambling man, and I am, you are going to get wet on this ride. So I would either go at the end of the day or if it's a really, really hot day and you don't mind being drenched for a little while and kind of maybe cooling off, uh, you know, going after you've hit a couple of attractions, maybe afternoon, after lunchtime somewhere. Otherwise, and, and again, otherwise go at the end of the day so you can leave, go back to your room, <laughs> change your clothes, and go back out at night. And again, you know, here when we kind of refer to it in Africa as the story of all these different attractions extending beyond just their queue areas and beyond their attraction space – into the general area that is what is also happening in the asia area um all of these things extend uh there are specific set pieces or props that are down close to everest that actually refer to events that kind of take place within Kali river rapids and so again one day we'll do our dsi here <laughs> and give you all the details but it, it's all very thematically very precise and very orchestrated and it's it's telling a big picture story it's it's kind of walking into a very big movie set piece where everything kind of integrates together yeah it, it's it's a very richly themed land and expedition everest i think undoubtedly has one of if not the best queue uh, i tell people all the time 
for touring purposes, yes, you want to try and, and get on. But if you get to dr- go through the standby line, take advantage of it because it tells a very specific story that we will cover in detail because that's going to be probably an entire show in and of itself uh, because you want to talk about detail and story and real artifacts and relics that they brought in to do that. Um, it's amazing. And there is no bad time to ride Everest. Uh, it's definitely an attraction that I would try and ride and get a fast pass for because you're going to want to ride it more than once. And if uh, Animal Kingdom has evening extra magic hours, bar none, Expedition Everest at night is the best attraction in Walt Disney World. And kind of just to throw in too, just when we're talking about the theming of Asia, just to throw it out, and again, someday we'll do a much more extended DSI, Realize the importance of bicycles in this environment. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Not actually riding the bicycles, but looking out for the bicycles. I never... <laughs> just and, it, and again, it's just a testament to the extent to which Imagineering goes to create such an authentic experience. And, and just so people don't think that you're walking around looking at, at bicycle tracks all the time, you actually do ride these attractions too and enjoy them for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But yeah, there's, it's, it's something that's, it, that's important but in a very subtle way. Very true. Very true. And again, when we're talking about taking the time, this is one of the things that you should, you know, as you're walking, as you're walking towards the queue of Everest, look at that somewhat obscure building to the left-hand side. Look at some of the props. Look at some of the posters. Look at some of the things enclosed in the cases uh, because they're really neat and they really do sort of add to that immersive experience. But let's move over to Dinoland because obviously, as always, we are running long. We did a full DSI on Dinoland some time ago where we really talked about um, why this is a land that you should take the time and go through. But there is a lot more to see here other than just, you know, Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama and and Primeval Whirl and Triceratops Spin. Uh, Obviously, you know, the 800-pound gorilla there is Finding Nemo the Musical. I I, uh, admit that I poo-pooed it when I first heard it uh, about a a musical of a non-musical film, but they hit this one out of the park. I think it is the far and away the best show on property you're going to have to devote a considerable amount of time to queuing up for this and enjoying the show uh, because it is a somewhat of a long show but worth every second and uh, i can't say enough good things about finding nemo and i agree with you 100 percent. it's it was again a surprise i i went in with some degree of anticipation and was just totally blown away a very very wonderful experience right and obviously there's also dinosaur 2 these are going to be the two attractions that are going to take up the most of your time because of wait times and because of the queues and because of how long the attractions are there as well but there's more to see there's also dino sue which is this reproduction of the most complete t-rex ever found that's something you can go through and explore there's cretaceous trail and you're saying okay lou another walking trail but this one is very different and it talks about some of those plants and animals that survived the the period of the dinosaur and going back to the dsi is very much rich in the story of what dinoland usa is all about with the researchers and the students and the dino institute and again there you have a restaurant um restaurantosaurus that is in in many ways an attraction even and of itself if you take the time to explore it right and if you have kids Taking them over to the Boneyard is another one of those great places that they can go explore. Dare I say learn. Don't tell them what they may. Just learn something while they're there and kind of go through the maze. And there's fossils and there's all kinds of stuff for them to do 
while you get to sit and sort of relax and have your snack and or beverage of, of choice. But, um, you know, it's great because each one of these lands, Jeff, has something for adults and it has something for kids to do. And the kids events are not just static things where they have to sit and watch. They get to interact with and play with and, you know, for kids that are hyped up on their sugar, a chance to expend some of that energy. And it's a natural. Kids love it. Absolutely. A- absolutely. Kids, uh, you know, sometimes I see parents pulling the kids out, kicking and screaming. So, um, and they do have, I mean, you know, look, not to go back to Dinorama, but Dinorama is, people call it tacky, people call it, you know, whatnot. That's the way it's meant to be. That's what it's meant to do. And I think it's a fun little place that you can spend some time playing some of the games and doing some of those things, not, you know, rushing to get on Primeval World, getting the kids on tr- Triceratops Spin, and then getting online for Nemo. Uh, you can have some fun there playing the games and walking through the shops. And then, actually, this is a great place, I think, to talk about some of the outdoor performers. Uh, it's something that I saved to the end, but you're going to find in all the lands of Disney's Animal Kingdom and you should definitely stop and enjoy. Divine is by far one of my favorites. She appears hourly from about 10 to 1 or 10 to 2 on the walkway between Africa and Asia. Um, you will have to really look for her until she comes out. Um, I, I won't spoil it for you if you've never seen her before, but she is beautiful and breathtaking. There is the Harambi School, obviously, in Africa. There's the Acrobats. Um, in Dinoland, there's uh, Smear, Splat, and Dip who are very cool. Again, they, they come out like the jammeters. You don't expect them to start singing and dancing and doing stuff, but that's a great interactive show that lasts probably a good 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, there's West Palm, who's the, the, the walking and talking palm tree by the Oasis. And what's the other one? Oh, the, uh, the village beatniks. Over yeah, I, was saying, there was, I was about to ask you, there was a percussion group that we actually just watched this last time and I could not remember the names. That's who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're great. And again, all of these for the most part are very interactive, especially over, uh, by Harambe. When you're starting to walk towards by the music stand, your kids can go and play the drums. And if you're over by the Dawa bar, when the band comes out, they're going to get you up, you know, dancing and hitting, uh, some percussion instruments, so it's a lot. It's really, really a lot of fun. And you should take your time uh, and, and enjoy them and and interact with them. So, uh, but of course, Jeff, this segment is going much, much longer than I expected. So I said at the beginning, you can really spend not just a day in the park, and hopefully, we've illustrated that not just by virtue of how long some of the attractions take and and taking your time, that you can spend easily a full day in the park, especially if the park is only open from nine to five. But I'm going to tell you that you really can spend two days in the parks and kind of follow along with me as I was writing this out, what I was thinking of of how you would do it. If the park opens at nine o'clock, the first thing I would do is go over and I would fast pass Expedition Everest. And if you're lucky and you want to get on real quick, you could do that as well. But now you have a fast pass for later on in the day. I would go do Pangani Trail first, which is right there. I would head on over and do the safari. So now you're looking, it's probably maybe 10 o'clock or so by the time you get on. Maharaja Jungle Trek. So now you've got the two of the walking tours and the safari. I'd go back and use my Fast Pass for Everest because now you're probably looking at 11, 30, 12 o'clock or so. I would eat. Yak and Yeti would be my choice. I would go across the park and do Legends of the Lion King. I would go back and do... I would Fast Pass Cali River Rapids and then watch the parade. Now you're looking at like 3 o'clock or so. Do Cali River Rapids at the end of the day as my last ride of the afternoon. So far, so good? Uh, yeah. In fact, I, the only thing I would throw in is probably 90% of the time you won't even need to fast pass Cali River. 
Right. I mean, I got it just based on depending on what time of year it is. You could get it if you need it. If not, like you said, it could be a walk-on uh, depending on when you go. But the discussions of going on and off season, we're going to save for another <laughs> for another segment. So on day two, you still have. Now you've done just very quickly. You've done two of the major headliner attractions in one day. You've done Everest and you've done the Kilimanjaro Safari. You've also done Legend of the Lion King. But there's still more that you have to go see because day two, the first thing I would do would be Dinosaur. I would go back and explore the Oasis and Discovery Island a little bit, take a look at some of the different animals, browse through some of the shops, um, maybe have a snack over by the Dawa Bar or uh, the Tusker House walk-up in Harambee. See if you can see some of the performers because now most of the performers start around 10 o'clock, so you're in time to start seeing some of those. Uh, you can do Tough to be a Bug, obviously now. Time to eat again. Uh, Flame tree barbecue. Flame tree barbecue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go and do Flights of Wonder. Now you've got Nemo in the afternoon. Uh, and you can go to Dino Land, play some of those games, do Primeval World, do Triceratops Spin, some of the things like that. Take the train over to Conservation Station. And then at the end of the night, you have your, la- your, your I was going to say your last meal, but your, uh, your dinner over at the Yak and Yeti. So easily two days <laughs> people are rolling their eyes i know but look if you want to do it in a half day and only highlight the headliner attractions or certain things you want to see absolutely you can do it and if you are on a very limited schedule by all means go ahead and do it but if you have the time and if animal kingdom is potentially one of your favorite parks or a place that you really want to enjoy i, I think as the imagineers had hoped then there is a way to do it um and we keep talking about the experience and, most importantly, exploring it. Um, and some of these things, Jeff, like we like we wanted to highlight, might be off that beaten path just a little bit. It might be a little out of the ordinary, but it's definitely worth the time to seek out. And I think the message we're trying to send is you need to appreciate the beauty of Animal Kingdom on so many levels alongside the fact that you can see animals up close and Broadway-quality shows and, and incredible e-chicken attractions. And just to throw in, from my personal experience, and there's even people out there that aren't geek like me, but if you're a photographer to any degree, if you're an amateur photographer, or if you have photography as a hobby, this is probably your best opportunity for that in, in all of Walt Disney World. Uh, you have more cause to take pictures in Animal Kingdom than probably anywhere else because you're taking a lot of sort of non-family type things. You know, you're not necessarily just taking pictures of Junior and, and, and Mom, you know, posed in front of the Tree of Life. And that, again, is something that can expand the time spent at the park significantly if that's something you like to do. Right, and, and in future segments, we're going to highlight some of these things in greater detail. So you can maybe take these DSIs along with you, you know, mentally or otherwise. You take notes and, and see some things maybe next time you go that you wouldn't have picked up on otherwise. But if you really do like Animal Kingdom, you want to maybe pick up some more of these things. I wanted to just quickly mention three books that I have that I really enjoy. Obviously, the first would be the the Imagineering Field Guide to Disney's Animal Kingdom. That's by the Imagineers. That's a great resource. There's also two books that I don't know if they are still in print or not. One of them is The Making of Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park. That's by Melody Malmberg. That's a hardcover book that runs about $25. I'm not sure that's in print anymore. And if you love the animals and you love the landscape and the plants, there's a book called The Field Guide to Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park that helps you identify 
more than 200 animals and 200 plants throughout the parks. Uh, again, I'm not sure if this is still available in the parks or not, but if you can pick that up, um, it really is something that you can take with you to learn more. So, Jeff, as always, thank you very much for taking just a few minutes of our time to uh, to really explore uh, Animal Kingdom with me. Yeah, Lou, we, we, we rush through these things so quickly. We need to take our time and <laughs> yeah. really, you know, really talk more about these things when we have the opportunity. But always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> In this week's listener email section, I wanted to specifically address many of your travel-related emails that ask about everything from dining suggestions to ticket options, the best time of year to go, and so much more. And what I wanted to do was bring in someone that I wanted to introduce you to, and really who somebody who's going to become our sort of resident travel expert here on the show. She is Becky Mankin. She is the owner of Mouse Fan Travel. They are, as you know, my recommended travel provider and who I personally use for all of my Disney vacations. So what I wanted to do is have Becky, and in the future I'm going to have some other members of her team, come on the show from time to time as my, like I said, resident travel experts to address some of your emails with me, as well as maybe do a new segment that we're going to call Walt Disney World Travel Tips, where we can cover some helpful hints to really make the most out of your vacation. So for the first time of hopefully many, Becky, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Well, thank you, Lou. It's great to be here. Before we get started in the emails, like I said, I wanted to kind of introduce everybody to you and the company a little bit. So can you tell us a little bit about you and and Mouse Fan Travel? Sure. Um, I have been actually a vacation planner or in the vacation planning business for almost, believe it or not, 10 long years. Um, Have been very passionate about travel since I was a child. As a matter of fact, my passion for travel actually began with my love of Disney and uh, all things Disney. So, of course, I, uh, I became um, very attached to Disney destinations as a small child. My dad took me to Disneyland for my seventh birthday, and I haven't looked back since. Um, have been working with uh, MEI Travel has been around for about 10 years, but the Mouse Fan Travel part has uh, been a company now for th- we're going on our third birthday. It's amazing that uh, the time has gone by so fast. The company is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and we have about 50 affiliates now lo- located across the United States. The, the company is, of course, fully licensed, is a seller of travel, and we're insured. And um, one thing of, of special note is that we don't have any agency fees, which is one of those uh, things that we should ask or you should ask if uh, you're working with a vacation planner just to make sure that you know what you're getting into. We are a little bit more about the background from a um, detail standpoint. We're also members of the major travel organizations like CLIA and ASTA, which is the American Society of Travel Agents. One of the things that um, many of the um, consumer people recommend that you work with agencies who are members of ASTA. It just means that we're... uh, we have agreed to uphold to certain service standards, which we truly believe in. Um, one of the things about our company is that we we know it's kind of cliche to always talk about service, quote unquote. Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, it's really the service that, uh, that makes us stand apart. But for us, it really is that. <laughs> the service level is so important to us. And we like to treat our clients like... Um, 
they're our family. So we're planning trips for ourselves or for our family. And we strive to ensure that uh, the magical experience begins with us. Well, you know, as you were talking about that and talking about the associations and insurance, obviously that's very important. But for me, honestly, the most important thing and the reason why I've liked working with you guys for so long is because we talk about people that get it and, and don't get it. You guys get it. Like, you're a fan. Like, you're a fan first, and so are your agents, and it comes through. Actually, you are, and and I saw this actually online, you're not just an agent. You're like a super agent. <laughs> Tell me what the super, I saw the super agent thing. What is, what does that mean? Well, it, it was it was an honor. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was in two, the end of 2004 for 2005, I was named by Travel and Leisure magazine as the a-list super agent for Disney destinations in the nation. Um, it was quite an honor to receive that, and, and you're so correct about the people who get it. And we are fans first. As a matter of fact, like I said, the the whole love for travel for me started as a little girl, and thankfully I found a husband who um, kind of believed in the same Disney dreams as I do, um, and. Uh, when we were married, we actually have Hakuna Matata on the inside of our wedding ring. So that kind of shows you the, the dedication um, of being a fan first uh, as Tess. Yeah, and, and trust me, I know the importance of having the supportive husband slash wife that, that gets it too. So. <laughs> we wouldn't Very be able true. to do what we do without him. So. Absolutely. And another really important piece for us is that we like to be part of the community. We are wholehearted um, sponsors of the community events that go on. And uh, for example, this year we are sponsoring the Wild Decade, which is happening on April 22nd of this year, which is the brainchild of the WDW Celebrations team. Obviously, there's Magic Meets, which is, um, this will be our third year uh, attending for Magic Meets. And then, of course, there's always Mouse Fest, which is a ton of fun because that's when we get to um, try to give back to the community. And I, I think that's actually one of my favorite events because every year I get to kind of rack my brain to figure out um, what the next unique way to sprinkle pixie dust will be on our clients. Yeah, and that's something, too, that you know always impressed me about you guys, that you are able to, in a lot of different ways, bring some sort of special things to creating somebody's vacation. It's not just about booking a hotel and taking care of those details. There's little things that you do that kind of surprise people, and, and I've been surprised as a client in the past before, so um, that's why I'm excited about the things that we'll be able to do together moving on in the future. Oh, absolutely. And we do kind of specialize in those little hidden gems and those special things that you can do that aren't just showing up and going on a ride and going home. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, um, to help create some magic. Cool. Well, let's, let's go ahead and let's start getting right into the emails. And I'm going to give you trial by fire with the first one, because to <laughs> me, there's nothing more important about Walt Disney World than food. So I'm going to hit you with a food <laughs> question first, and we'll see how you do and see if you pass muster. Uh-oh. The first uh, email comes from John Thomas Cloys in Georgia. He says, Lou, love the show. Keep up the good work. I wanted to ask you if you had any suggestions on good restaurants to go to at Disney besides Coral Reef, Rainforest Cafe, La Cellier, and Cinderella's Royal Table. My family just doesn't know where to pick. I have a baby sister and a five-year-old sister, so it would be better if it was a more family-oriented place. Uh, thanks again, Thomas. All right, Becky, people have heard me ad nauseum talk about my restaurants. Of course, I'm probably going to interrupt you and chime in. Anyway, <laughs> tell me what some of 
your super agent references uh, <laughs> restaurants are that that you really enjoy for families. That is so going to come back to bite me. I can just tell. <laughs> well, I can't get the mental <laughs> picture out of my mind of you with the big S on your chest. But nevertheless, <laughs> go ahead. Um, well, let's see. They specifically talk about the baby sister and the five-year-old sister. And of course, dining is a is a really personal thing. And for me, for families personally, I love characters. So naturally, for families, I tend to gravitate to places like Chef Mickey's because, of course, you've got the um, the buffet, so you can choose from several choices in front of you. And then the characters that you've grown to know and love and that the children recognize. Are, um, are all part of the action. And then you can look up and the monorail goes through the, the middle of the contemporary. So it, it just has that whole Disney magic flavor for me. Um, and then of course are the, the places that the characters are actually the servers and the servers are characters in their own right like Whispering Canyon at the Wilderness Lodge or even for families a lot of good feedback has come from the Primetime Cafe over at Hollywood Studios because of course all kids like to see mom and dad get yelled at for not eating their green beans. <laughs> and you're three for three, so keep going. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are probably my top three picks that I can think of right off the top. Just for comparison's sake, what are your thoughts? Whispering Canyon, when you talk about kids and fun places to go, obviously Chef Mickey's for breakfast came to mind. I think Whispering Canyon over at Wilderness Lodge is a great choice that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't necessarily think about because it's sort of off the beaten path um, right. to get to. But you want to talk about a place that kids are not only allowed to, but encouraged to run around and yell and scream and hoot and holler and do everything else, Whispering Canyon. Um, if you have kids, you know, jacked up on sugar and caffeine, Whispering Canyon is a place to go. Uh, inside, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, another thought on that where you're talking about maybe having too much sugar injected earlier in the day, Ohana. Yeah. is also an, another good option for um, for the families with the young kids because of course nothing like getting that broomstick out and, and um, driving that ball around the <laughs> around the track to to tire some kids out right. and, and <laughs> lest we forget there's actually very good food at all these restaurants as well it's not just a place for for the kids to go um, that's why these restaurants are, are so uh, are so popular um, Staying inside the parks, um, like you said, 50s prime time, even sci-fi dining, something a little bit more casual, um, but again, something that the kids might get a kick out of. Um, Tep and Edo, I think, in Epcot, especially World Showcase, sometimes it's, t- it's tough to find something that kids might like. I think Tep and Edo is sort of a, a show mixed in with, with a dining experience, so um, that might hold their attention more. Crystal Palace inside the Magic Kingdom is a great character meal. Right. Um, I, I know that um, a lot of families also kind of gravitate towards uh, Coral Reef as well. Um, I know a lot of people don't think of it as a family restaurant per se, but um, being able to watch the the aquarium and watch the, the fish does tend to have its own flavor of entertainment. Oh, that'll keep my son, Nicholas, occupied for, for weeks on end. I could leave him in front of the in front of the aquarium tank and he'd be fine. Of course, and then, and then there's nothing like exiting and hearing mine, mine, mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, note to Division of Youth and Family Services, I would not and have not left my son uh, in the parks to look at fish while we've gone around on our own, <laughs> just, just to be clear. <laughs> but uh, the other quick thing I wanted to mention, too, a nice character meal that's, again, a little bit out of the way. Sometimes you get a little bit more character interaction time is Cape May Cafe for breakfast um, mm. over at the Otten Beach Club. And finally, I think the only place just just to mention would be over in Disney's Animal Kingdom. I think Rainforest Cafe uh, or Yak and Yeti, I think kids would enjoy as well. But uh, 
you know, like I said, we've given you probably a, a laundry list that you, you couldn't exhaust in a week of staying there. So uh, any one of those choices would be good options for you. But let's move on to the next email. It comes from Dean in Connecticut, who said, Lou, my wife and I are taking a trip back to Walt Disney World for our fifth wedding anniversary. We got married there in 2003 at the Wedding Pavilion and have been back many times since, including running the half marathon in 2008. I'm sure you passed me very early on. Anyway, I'm looking to plan <laughs> something special and unique for our anniversary. Can you recommend a place to take a hot air balloon ride or some other type of unique experience? Love the show. Can't wait to hear what you might have in mind. Thanks, Dean in Connecticut. Becky, good. Why don't you talk about, and this is, you know, maybe where you can, you know, show your super agentness. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to beat that to death. Tell us about some of those really unique experiences. Oh, the wonderful thing about Disney World is is there are so many things that you can do that are special and unique. Of course, it's driven by budget. So it, it goes from the gamut of taking a romantic carriage ride at Fort Wilderness all the way to a special viewing of illuminations where it's just the two of you. Um, or a small circle of friends that you can put together, or viewing wishes from the private yacht, the Grand One, which I was so thrilled. I had a bunch of friends that actually surprised me with that for my birthday, which was wonderful. Worth all of the time. It was great. Um, you do mention hot air balloon rides, Dean, and that's while not something that they do um, in gen for the general public at, uh, at Disney World per se, there are a couple of companies that are in the Orlando area that do balloon rides um, right on the outskirts of um, over by Celebration, actually, is the meet point. And while they don't guarantee that they'll go over the Disney area, you still do get to see the parks from most of the rides. And um, they do have a wonderful private sunrise flight that uh, you can do just the just the two of you and the balloon operator. It includes breakfast and a champagne toast and photos. Um, and I think that package, I'm guessing for the private thing, but it's a very romantic experience from what I understand. It is a sunrise um, uh, uh, timing. So you're looking at about 6 a.m. for your meet time, I, if my memory serves correctly. Uh, but it's about a three or four hour scenario. So that is a wonderful idea if that's something that appeals to you. Yeah, I've, I've never had a chance to do it. I've actually spoken to people that have. They just said it was one of those, you want to talk about a breathtaking, memorable experience. And, and you're mm -hmm. right. While we can't recommend anybody because we haven't done it personally, mm -hmm. uh, you were you're, the, the rates that I was able to find online were about in that same thing. You're looking at probably anywhere from four to five, $600 per person, depending if you go weekdays, weekends, um, and I'm sure if you look online, you can find a number of companies. Um, but I would maybe try and look maybe at some of the other message forums, see if anybody else has used anybody and tell you about mm -hmm. what their experiences are. But if you want to do something in Walt Disney World, you hit Becky on a lot of things that I was talking about. Other things that I've done that I really enjoyed was Breathless over at the Yacht Club Marina, which I think is, is awesome. A Segway tour. Um, if you're divers, you could do Dive Quest over at the Seas. Um some of the backstage tours, if that's what you're into. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about some of these overlooked things at Walt Disney World. And for the people that say that they think that they've done it all, I will guarantee you that you haven't. So the possibilities really are endless. Absolutely. Again, it's a lot of it's just driven by budget. So if you can dream it, you can do it if you can pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and the question that I have for you is if somebody says, okay, I want to do one of these really cool things for my parents or for my wife or for whomever, two questions for you. One, 
do they book it with Disney directly and, and where would they call? Or two, is this something that if they had a travel agent, whether it be you or somebody else, that your travel agent can and will do for you? Well, it, it really depends on the situation because there are some things that you can book direct with Disney. There are other things that require um, leisure group room blocks to be able to access. Um, there are others that you, many travel agents will have access to um, the people that you need to reach. Most of the things you can find through the events line, if you call them, they can direct you uh, to some of these more unique experiences as well. So if you do have a favorite vacation planner, start with them first because they'll be able to do the legwork for you and, and, and find those contacts. Cool. All right, let's move on because, of course, as usual, um, we're running longer than I expected. But the next email <laughs> comes from Kimberly, and she said that her family is planning a trip to Walt Disney World from December 6th through December 14th. <laughs> They're thinking about booking a safari grand gathering. And she was wondering, was that if we've heard if it's a good idea this time of year? Her concern is that with it getting darker earlier, if you can still see the animals, would you recommend doing this or one of the other grand gathering events, Kimberly? Becky, go ahead. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah. grand gatherings and the safari event specifically? Absolutely. The, the safari gathering actually around that time of year tends to start about 4.30 p.m. So it's not really dark yet. Um, you still do have a wonderful experience. So I, I really wouldn't um, be concerned about, uh, about taking it that time of year. The safari starts first about 4.30, and then the dinner follows the attraction. So to date, I haven't had anyone report any issues with viewing the animals in December for that time period. So it's one of the more popular of the, um, of the grand gathering experiences. I've also had another, um, a, a lot of feedback on uh, the magical fireworks voyage as being another one. So if the safari is something you're still kind of concerned about, the magical fireworks is, is a good one as well. And just for people who might be familiar with what, the, what a grand gathering is and what the safari is, the safari is really a, a private safari. Um, you're going to have a private tour on the safari. You're going to go back to Tusker House, I believe. You get um, an all-you-can-eat uh, dinner there. I think they have a character that comes in and a couple other surprises. You're looking at about $60 per person, $30 <laughs> for kids. But, Becky, in order to qualify for a grand gathering, you can't just be a couple. What exactly do you need when you're booking in order to uh, take advantage of one of these experiences? Right. You need to be what they call a grand gathering, which is basically at least eight guests in the party ages three and up. So if you have um, two families that are traveling together or if you have five kids and <laughs> you're a large family um, all traveling together, you would qualify for a grand gathering. There you go. So... The next email comes from Dave in Hagerstown, Maryland. He says, Mangello. That's not like Mangello, is it? <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> Greetings, Lou. I've been listening to your shows since the beginning, and I thank you for keeping the site and show up to date. I've actually traded emails with you once or twice and found myself needing your thoughts. I'm a DVC member and annual pass holder. I'm trying to decide whether or not to purchase the Disney Dining Experience card for my upcoming trips. I've had it in the past and felt it was well worth the money. However, in light of the recent change, I'm unsure. While I normally do tip well, I like having the option rather than the 18% tacked on without my permission. So if I'm reading it correctly, the 18% is only added when I use the Disney Dining Experience card, correct? So if I use my annual pass holder discount, I would not have the 18% added. I'm just thinking that either way, the AP discount would have an 8% discount advantage over the Disney Dining Experience. And I would, of course, still have the option to tip 
at 18% or whatever I feel appropriate for each occasion. Any thoughts? Thanks in advance, Dave. Becky, I'm going to leave this to you because with all the percentages and, and advanced mathematics. Yeah, th this one, it's it was kind of daunting for some people or for many of us when we heard that they were automatically ta tacking on that 18%. And you're, you're correct. The AP discounts, you don't have to worry about the automatic gratuity being added. It, that is only with the Disney Dining Experience card. However, the AP rates, if you're trying to compare the two, you really can't. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The AP discounts are much more limited um, on several levels to the dining experience. For example, you're limited to the number of places it can be used, and some actually restrict you to certain meals, and, and frankly, the AP discounts um, are more for the breakfast and lunch. Uh, there aren't very many restaurants that have um, uh, discounts for dinner anymore. In addition, many of the restaurant discounts can only be applied for weekdays. So if you're there over a weekend, you wouldn't even be able to, to use your AP discount there. Um, if you drink alcohol, you can't uh, apply an AP discount to the alcohol on your bill. So as you can tell, it's, it is very much restricted where the Disney dining experience, um, while, it only, while they do add 18% to the table service locations, you can, if you disagree with the amount that they're tacking on, don't hesitate to contact the manager at the restaurant and ask them to um, to reduce it. I've actually heard of people doing that, so uh, that can be done. Another difference between the two, of course, is that the Disney Dining Experience does include alcohol on your bill, so you're saving there if, if you do partake. And the, with the Disney Dining Experience, it's up to 10 people on your bill. With the AP, it's usually up to you and, and three additional people. So it's hard really to say that the two compare because it, the AP discounts are so much more limited. Personally, I would say try to put the 18% piece to the side. Know that you're probably going to um, uh, tip at 15 to 18% level anyway. If you disagree with 18%, Ask them to reduce it on your bill and go for the DDE. Yeah, and you. I mean, if you actually want to tip more, I mean, I, I know people yeah. have actually asked me, can I tip more? And yes, you, there's actually a place that if you have an exceptional server, you can add on. And the other thing about the DDE that I like too is that if you valet park at one of the resorts, like for example, if I go to dinner at the boardwalk somewhere and I park at the boardwalk, it gives you free valet parking as well. Absolutely. So it's well worth the 65 or $75. I mean, it pays for itself depending on where you eat in a, a couple of meals. And, of course, if you have the AP, then you get an additional $25 off your Disney Dining Experience card. So uh, for them to offer that, um, that additional discount kind of tells you that Disney doesn't mean for these two to be competitive with each other anyway. Exactly. So the next email says, Lou, I don't know if you have time to answer this, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Uh, me and my family will be coming to Walt Disney World at the end of April. I'm attending a, a conference at Coronado Springs, and Michael Eisner is going to be the keynote speaker. My question is regarding Disney's Magical Express. I've never used it, but I'm interested in trying it because I love the thought of not having to deal with my luggage. However, I've read horror stories of how long it may take to get from the airport to our resort. I also understand that Coronado usually has direct transportation that does not stop at other resorts. What do you think about Disney's Magical Express? Or do you just recommend renting a car? We won't be leaving property during the trip. Thanks for the great podcast, Randy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Disney's Magical Express. I, I have to say we heard we hear great things about the service. I personally like the service. We've heard 
the same type of stories and, and challenges that um, Disney's Magical Express has had. However, you, you are correct that uh, Coronado Springs is typically direct. Not all the time, because sometimes on their off hours, they'll change it up a bit. They might um, realize that they've only got so many people arriving at the same time, so they'll um, either combine it with a bus or they'll put people in a van instead, which has happened in the past. But um, Coronado Springs is probably one of the, the best in terms of, um, of time. Um, I like not having to deal with my bags as well. This is just like a, a personal preference. I don't want to have to deal with them. So I, I do tend to, um, to gravitate towards Magical Express. But I have to say I have had some snags in time waiting at the airport for the bus to fill. You know, you go through the, through the lines and you get onto the bus and you wait and there's like five of you there. <laughs> and you don't know how long you're going to have to wait. Um, there have been times where I've waited 30 minutes for the bus to, to depart as it filled and there's been other times where it left within five minutes and there's been a time where it was just me on the bus (laughs) (laughs) so uh, but another thing to keep in mind with the car rental is that you still have delays you'll have delays at the counter and then you have to deal with your luggage as you mentioned Um, and then you also have to deal with toll booths on the way to uh, uh, to Disney World so both of them have their pros and cons yeah I've I've taken I rent a car whenever I go and I'll, I'll explain why but I've taken Disney's Magical Express because I wanted to experience it firsthand. I never felt I could comment on it without actually going through the process myself. And for me, it was seamless. Uh, it worked as it was expected mm-hmm. to work. Uh, I really did enjoy it. However, when I, when I got to property, I went to the Alamo Rent-A-Car, which is by the Car Care Center, and I rented my car because I like having the freedom and the flexibility of a rental car. Uh, mm-hmm. When I get down to Disney, I like not having to worry about you know, what time is the bus going to come? Am I going to make it in time? If I want to leave, you know, at a certain time of night, is the wait for that bus to get back to my resort going to be long? Especially because I have two young kids. End of the night, meltdowns, heat, strollers, diaper bags, you get the point. Now, you say you're going with your family. That might be a consideration. If you have right. people who are younger and might want to go in different directions um, or, uh, you know, have physical challenges that maybe the bus doesn't work out well, you might want to like you said, there's, there are pros and cons to each of them. But I know that when I go down, I do rent a car um, every time, whether it's right. family or by myself. Right. I agree, too. I, I do tend to rent a car when I'm there, but usually it's because I'm skipping around to a lot of locations within you know a, a short amount of time. So I do like that convenience. So if you're looking for uh, the ability to, um, to go from park to park to park quickly, or like you said, if you're traveling with a family, that does kind of skew things a bit because you may need to return back for naps if they're that young and so forth. Exactly. All right, we got a couple more emails to get to, and time is running short. Let's keep the jokes about the length of my show to a minimum. And the next email <laughs> says, I've been listening for almost a year now, but recently my, pa- my family, parents, sister, husband, and I, booked a trip to Walt Disney World the first week this coming December. Let me just say that you have very quickly become a household name for us. Discuss, oh, I hate reading this. Discussing any planning regarding our trip always results in, well, Lou says... But upon listening to your show this past Monday, March 25th, I heard that Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party dates had been published. For the week that we'll be at Walt Disney World, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday are our options for going to the to the party. Which nights do you recommend going? Please note that we're trying to cram candlelight processional, Osborne lights, as well as the regular shows, parades, phantasmic illuminations, etc. all in. Wow. We are not <laughs> fortunate enough to get to Walt Disney World very often, so we're trying to fit every possible event in. Any suggestions regarding the scheduling of these events would be really appreciated. Thanks for your help, 
And that's Jen. She's Barnacle Barum in the forums. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> that, is a, um, that is a lot to cover. But like you said, you are it going is. down, I believe you said the first week in December. The party is going to be on the 4th, 5th, 7th, and I'll send it to the 9th and the 11th. So you do have a couple of options. Um, you know, Becky, I, I'm not sure if you're going to agree. Uh, you said Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday are your options. Right out of the box, I'd say Tuesday and Thursday Tuesday. are going to be your best bets, yeah. And I'd even say Tuesday um, would be my first choice. Thursday would be my second, and Friday would be my third. Yeah, by a long shot. Because you're going to get the yeah. locals. You're going to get the people who are coming in for the weekend. So I think Tuesday would obviously be the least crowded of all those days. Um, so if you're able to do a Tuesday, do it, and then cram those other 75 events in <laughs> the next couple of days that you're going to be down there. So. <laughs> Um, an- another thing that I'd like to mention is when you're looking at scheduling for all of this, Jen, um, two pieces. The Candlelight Processional, watch for the announcements of the presenters so you can select the night that's most appealing for you when you're looking at your schedule. And also, schedules are out right now through October, I believe, but watch for the postings for your extra magic hours so you can work in your Osborne Family Lights. That might also help you to, to schedule all, this, uh, all the activities you're trying to uh, work in. Next email is also about scheduling. Uh, it says, hey, Lou, my wife and I are considering heading down to Walt Disney World the first week in January, as in like on New Year's Day. I heard that the place becomes a ghost town after New Year's. Is that accurate? Is the first week of January a good time to go? Thanks, man. Austin Malone. What do you say, yep. Becky? Ghost town? It's Well, I wouldn't say ghost town. Anymore with Disney, ghost town, I have not seen ghost town there for quite some time. However, historically, if you avoid the holiday and the weekend right after it, those are going to be the highest crowd times. But or if you go there knowing or knowing to expect that, you should be good. However, the fo- that following week, the um, the second to the second week of January, you're going to be really good. You'll be in good shape. Um, historically, the crowds are low during that period. So long as you stay away from Martin Luther King's birthday on January 19th, I think you'll be in good shape. Absolutely. Yeah. Stick, stay away from those holidays. Stay away from it, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. The days of the quote-unquote, you know, empty season at Disney World are, are a thing of the past at this point, pretty much. I would agree. Uh, I'm going to do one quick, I'm not going to even read the whole email. It comes from Matt in Keller, Texas. He's going down from May 14th through May 20th with his, with his best friend, wife, and daughter. He's got all of his dining pretty much covered, but he was asking about any activities or events that you can recommend. Uh, the one thing I would tell you to do, and everybody in the group is going to enjoy, would be the International Flower and Garden Festival. I, I can't speak highly enough about it. There's so much to do there for adults and kids. Plus, you've got the Flower Power Concert se- Series. Who can't resist Jose Feliciano from the 16th to the 17th and Gary Puckett? Um, if you're into it, uh, you know, the Teddy Bear, Bear and Doll Weekend is also at Epcot from the 16th to, through the 18th. And M- Mickey's Pirate and Princess Party is another special event that you might want to look at uh, while you're down there. And the last email, Becky, is going to be sort of an, an opinion email from you. He says, hey, Lou, my hu- she says, hey, Lou, my husband and I, or it could be he, look forward to your show each week. It's great to keep up with everything Disney when we can't be there. We're thinking of spending a long weekend in Orlando next January. We want to stay in the boardwalk area and be able to use the back entrance to Epcot. We're wondering which of the hotels you'd recommend. We hear you talk about the show about enjoying the back entrance, especially in the early morning hours. We'd like to experience it ourselves. Thanks for the, any information you could provide. That's from Amy in Baltimore. And I made sure I read this this week because Amy said, my husband Glenn's birthday is on tax day. And he'd be very surprised uh-huh. if you wish him a happy, happy day. 
Glenn, happy birthday, and uh, same to you, Uncle Sam. So go ahead, <laughs> Becky. Location, location, location. The Boardwalk oh. Resorts are arguably some of the best on property. Which of those do you personally like or you recommend? For me, it's it, it's a toss-up between two. I love the Beach Club Villas and I love the Boardwalk Villas. Um, both of them have their own flavor. If you're looking for something that's more quiet and, and kind of a more relaxing atmosphere, the Beach Club tends to do that for me. Uh, of course, both of those resorts have the villas side and they have the, the standard hotel rooms. If you can, look for the villas first because uh, you do get some added amenities in um, the standard rooms or what they call a studio room at the villas. Over on the uh, boardwalk side, at the boardwalk villas and the boardwalk inn, you have a much um, more vibrant atmosphere and of course all the things that happen at night there's a lot of uh, nighttime celebrating that goes on at the boardwalk but then again it can be a little bit noisy at night as well if you have a front-facing room so um, those two are my favorites yeah you, you, first of all you're not going to go wrong with the boardwalk yacht or beach club um, yeah. I, I like both of them if I had to, to choose one over the other it would have to be beach club I think beach club just has everything going for it from the theming and the ambiance to the dining to Storm Along Bay, which we've talked about at length, is really a, a mini water park in and of itself. You've got the views of the lake. You've got the views of the boardwalk, which you could obviously walk to at night. It's just spectacular. There's all kinds of special events. They show movies on the beach. The marina is right there. You're in walking distance to the International Gateway. I could go on and on and on. Uh, but again, depending on what you like, uh, I mean, again, you're not going to go wrong with either of those choices. So. And don't forget beaches and cream. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all about the food, Lou. It's all about the food. Forget the food. It's all about the... And I'm not an ice cream guy, but you give me a No Way Jose and I'm good to go. <laughs> That's what got me through the 2008 half marathon was on No Way Jose the day before. So <laughs> There you go. But um, that is actually all the time we have this week. I want to thank you, Becky Mankin, and, of course, welcome you um, onto the show. I look forward to having you and some of the other people on your team come back. Help me out with some of these emails as well as some travel tips in the future. For more information, you can visit our show notes page. You can also go to Mouse Fan Travel. There you can get a free no-obligation quote. Or if you have a question about something, Becky or her team or agents would be happy to help you out. Becky, thank you again. Thank you, Lou. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to being part of your community. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and thank you for tuning in once again. I also want to say thanks to my special guests, Karen Goldsberry. You can visit her website at LuxuryDisneyGuide.com. And Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel. You can visit them at mousefantravel.com for a free, no-obligation quote, or if you have any questions about your next Walt Disney World vacation. And, of course, Jeff Pepper from 2719hyperion.com. If you want to be on the air and have a segment suggestion or a question, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com, or you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206 202 4939. Also, to discuss anything you heard on the show, you can go over to the WDWRadio.com message forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. On our show notes page, as always, I want to have more information and links to stuff I covered on this week's show, as well as some recommended products and services like Owner's Locker, where you can find out more at Owner'sLocker.com, Attractions Magazine for the latest issue of the magazine covering all of the Orlando-related theme park attractions, 
Orlando Fun Tickets for authorized and discounted official tickets to Walt Disney World and Mouse Fan Travel. On the site, you can also order your official WDW Radio Show t-shirts and other merchandise, and you can also link on over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com for news, articles, trivia, my blog, the forums, and so much more. And there you can also order your audio guide to Walt Disney World, as well as both copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books. As I said, April 22nd is going to mark Disney Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary. I will be in the park covering the event and also be attending the Wild Decade fan event that day as well. I will be recording segments live for next week's show throughout the day. So if you are going to be there and at the Wild Decade event, be sure to come by and say hello. Also, be sure to stay tuned next week for full coverage of the Animal Kingdom 10th anniversary and maybe a few surprises. And if you like the show, please, as always, help spread the word. Let others know about it. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lou. Uh, my name is Mike. I just want to call in and say uh, I love your show. I especially liked uh, the show where you had Carrie Schoen on talking about the Disney Vacation Club and the uh, Year of a Million Dreams. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I was the one she mentioned that won through the mail. My fiance and I, Jessica, were lucky enough to be picked after sending in postcards and... Uh, it was absolutely our uh, dream to come true. Keep up the great work, and uh, thanks. Bye.